the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of the exciting yet challenging aspects of being a parent is deciding when to teach your children about certain issues. Things like life and death. Things like politics. Things like the evil in the world or where do babies come from. It's not just a matter of discernment and wisdom on your part, but it's also a matter of the child's intellectual and emotional ability to handle those things, to comprehend those things and to respond rightly. So, for much of their childhood, these untaught realities remain a mystery. They are hidden. You know them but you keep them a secret until just the right time. Really, this principle can be said to be true of anyone in authority. The boss, for example, doesn't fill in his employees on every nuance of running a business. He doesn't share with them all of the financial ins and outs, the political maneuvering to get their job done. The judge doesn't reveal to every lawyer that comes across his bench, all that's going on in his mind or behind closed doors. And in the same way, our God, the God, kept his wisdom hidden from man for centuries after creation, until the time was right to reveal the gospel truth. And like that child, the truth was completely misunderstood, it was inappropriately pursued or even completely ignored. And God revealed it ultimately at the perfect time, and now those who know him know it. It's called a mystery in our passage this morning. And would you turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. As we continue our study in 1 Corinthians, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Verses 6 through 9. Listen as I read. Paul writes, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Again, that was 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. And in these four verses, we will be finding four reasons that the wisdom of God is a mystery. Four reasons the wisdom of God is a mystery. Now, 
I'm going to elaborate on this more in point number two. But when we say mystery, or when Paul says mystery, he doesn't mean something that's strange or mysterious, but something that is or was hidden. Well, the first reason the wisdom of God is a mystery is the comprehension of God's wisdom. The comprehension of God's wisdom. How or by whom it is or was comprehended. Look again at verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. In verses 1 through 5 that we unpacked a couple of weeks ago, Paul spoke of his ministry of proclaiming the gospel, which he refers to here as the wisdom of God. And he emphasized that he in his humanity and even in his own human wisdom, he emphasized his weakness, his weakness specifically in the task which highlights the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, because he is so weak, And because the job or the ministry is so powerful, so unique, that his weakness and inability, his insufficiency to do the task, just shows that it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the work through the Apostle Paul. And not only that, it highlights, emphasizes that it is the Holy Spirit who is doing the work. In other words, Paul has been arguing that the gospel does not rely on human wisdom, but is in fact contrary to it. Likewise, Paul then doesn't rely on human methods or human wisdom to convince people of the truth. And remember the historical context. This is a time of great Greek philosophers and Roman orators and politicians, and so they would use their eloquence to convince people that what they were saying was true decide what them, to vote for them, to do whatever. But because we don't need to do that, because it's not a matter of convincing, Paul says he didn't use those that type of rhetoric or he didn't use the tools of humanity. He just let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Now we come to verse 6. And he starts with the word yet to indicate a turn in his argument. Specifically, Though he doesn't utilize the wisdom of men in how he presents the wisdom of God, as he says in verses 1 through 5, he does speak the wisdom of God. And his audience, he says in verse 6, are the mature. Now you have to understand that within the context, we know that this word mature is not speaking of those who are more advanced in their spiritual walk, who are more mature than what we would call baby Christians, but the mature refers to all true believers. Later in chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul will speak of those who are infants in Christ. In that context, he is making a distinction between believers who are more mature in their faith and true believers who are less mature. And this has led some to believe that back here in chapter 2, the word mature is referring to that same thing, this levels of maturity among true believers. However, remember that context is king, and though chapter 3 is within the context of the wider epistle or letter, the immediate context, specifically the verses 
directly preceding and in this same flow of thought in chapter 2 shows us that Paul is talking about all believers. And so here, when he says he speaks the wisdom of God to the mature, he's talking to Christians, regardless of how long they've been a Christian, regardless of how spiritually mature they may be. Now, the wisdom that is spoken to believers is, and I quote, a wisdom not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. And we just saw this in Psalm 146, that the rulers are passing away. The word age refers to the course and current of the affairs of this world. It it talks about uh, an epoch, a time in history, okay? And not just the, the dates of that time, not just the age as we would put them on a timeline, but all the, all the beliefs and the cultural norms that that specific period of history and that place in history, I should add, entails. So everything, when he uses the word age, it refers to everything from the cultural norms to technological advances, whatever they may have been at that time. From fashion trends to modern slang, from political issues to society's status quo. All of it is merely of that specific age, a unique time period and historical age. Now, of course, Paul living in a specific time when he says this age is referring to that specific age that he and the Corinthians were living in. So we know throughout history, and even in our lifetimes, things change. And Paul's words apply not just to the Corinthian age, but to all periods of history. And here's the point. The wisdom of God, the wisdom which Paul preaches, is not just for one particular time period. It is timeless truth for all mankind from the minute he penned these words until the end of days. And on the broader scope, God's wisdom was from even before time began. And although Paul is referring to his own preaching here when he says he speaks the wisdom of God, this principle applies to all Christians when we speak the gospel truth. The wisdom of men, Paul says, can never accomplish eternal life or bring true peace and prosperity to this world. If it could, it would be the responsibility of the world leaders, the world rulers. And yet here Paul references the rulers of this age, specifically saying that the leaders throughout humanity who have done great things from a human perspective, they have ended wars, they have created and stimulated economies. They have saved millions of lives. Yet Paul is saying all of this pales in comparison to the wisdom of the eternal king. What's more, these rulers, along with their philosophies and policies, are all passing away because they help and pertain only to the things that are fleeting, only to the things that are temporary. So, Paul says that they are all passing away.
And that's the thing about the wisdom of the world. It's passing away. This phrase in the Greek literally means to put out of commission, to make idle, to remove from power. They are becoming insignificant. Even at the height of their influence, these human rulers, they are in the process of being reduced to nothing. This is a continuous and unstoppable reality of life. The ESV says the rulers are doomed to pass away. The NIV says they are coming to nothing. And as things constantly change in society, even in the fields of science and history, so they show their fleeting and passing nature. COVID-19. Why does it still exist? Haven't we had medical science for hundreds of years? Has anyone at Stanford University or Johns Hopkins tried bloodletting? An enema? A shot of whiskey? Because that's what they did a few decades ago. No, because science and medicine has shown that those things are ridiculous. They don't, click, they don't cure all diseases. And so there are people who are using tools that didn't even exist at the time of bloodletting and using whiskey to cure diseases. They're using tools to look at things that people back then didn't even know exist on the molecular level. So things are changing even in science. But God's truth, God's wisdom, stands the test of time. It's a truth, after all, of an unchanging and sovereign God. His truth never changes. Think about something someone has said. And even though what he says may be true for his circumstances or your circumstances, the ball is red you still can't trust everything that person says, not necessarily because they're a liar, but because they're growing, they're developing, they're experiencing new things that may change what they believe and how they perceive the world. And though the ball indeed is red, that ball may fade and become pink or brown, or may pop and not be a ball at all. And even if that ball remains red, for the duration of his life and your life, you can't trust everything else he says. You can't believe all of his views and perspectives on life and just throw away your views and perspective because he is subject to change. He is imperfect. And so God's truth does not change and it can be relied upon, not just because of the truth itself, but because of what backs up who has spoken and who holds together that truth, God, very God, is also unchanging. His opinions are not opinions, they are truth. His emotions that he has are not subjective and and based on circumstances and uh, subject to flare-ups like ours are or, or deep depressions. And we sit there and going, 
I don't know why I'm angry. I don't know why I'm sad. I just feel this way. He doesn't have that. He doesn't do that. He is perfect. In fact, as you go through the range of emotions throughout your day, what a perfect reminder of our own weakness and sinfulness and the perfection of God. When you read about God's anger, you know that it is perfect anger. It is justified anger. When you read about Jesus weeping, you know it's not just a a, a blind emotion where people look at the circumstances and say, why are you crying about that? That makes no sense. But it is based on truth and fact. It is perfect. And so we know that in the midst of this changing world, there is someone and a truth that that someone has spoken, which incidentally has changed the world forever, can be relied upon and is never changing. Even uh, think about uh, the, the Easter weekend, right? Good Friday, the crucifixion, the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. Even in the specific context of the wisdom of God, being called the crucifixion of Christ, right? We looked at that earlier on as we started studying the wisdom of God. We know that the truth of the gospel, which is pinnacled in the crucifixion, this is wisdom that does not belong to the passing age of fleeting things, but to the eternal God. And if you go back 2,000 years ago, even within a time span of a few short hours, Those who physically crucified Jesus Christ, who were doing what was, and get this, they were doing what was right and good according to the wisdom of the age, according to the rulers of their age. At the end of the crucifixion, they understood what they did was wrong. Just a few hours later. Not years later, not even days later when he was resurrected. No, at the moment of his death, still in the process of crucifixion because his body still hung on the cross, while he was being crucified, they realized to a certain degree God's truth. Matthew 27, verse 54. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, so they're watching him to make sure no one prematurely takes him off the cross. When they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Luke 23, verses 47 and 48. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God. Part of the team that killed Jesus began praising God, saying, certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts in guilt and understanding of what had just happened. Until that time, in fact, probably just seconds earlier, what their human and cultural wisdom dictated was that Jesus was a bad man worthy of crucifixion. In the same way, the wisdom of man, the wisdom of man can be and is comprehended by anyone. But God's wisdom is a mystery because it can only be comprehended 
by some. And that's why our first point, explaining why God's wisdom is a mystery, is entitled the comprehension. Because what Paul is doing here in verse 6 is making this comparison between the many who understand man's wisdom, which is everyone, versus the select who understand God's wisdom. And it shows that God's wisdom is indeed a mystery. It is hidden. Point number two. The second reason the wisdom of God is a mystery. The communication of God's wisdom. The communication of God's wisdom. Look again at verse 7. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Now here I want to clarify the word uh, mystery. Again, it's not something mysterious. It's not something strange or puzzling. The word refers to something that is hidden, that is kept a secret. And in regards to this particular wisdom, was only revealed or communicated at a specific time. So if you have the ESV or NIV, it says the secret or hidden wisdom, uh, because in those translations, they, they chose to change the word from the Greek because in English, the word mystery can uh, mean different things. But here, technically, it means hidden. Kept secret. So there's two aspects of the communication or revelation of God's wisdom. First, in verse 7, Paul is talking about the communication that he does, him speaking the wisdom, but only because, secondly, God chose to reveal or communicate that wisdom to him and the other apostles. Now, the word mystery or secret hidden defines or modifies the nature of the wisdom of God. Here's what this means. It's not something you or any other person can discover on their own, but is something you can grasp if it is revealed to you. In other words, it's a mystery because it can only be known through God's revelation. It's a mystery because it can only be known through God's revelation. And we know that when the time was right, God chose the apostles to communicate this mystery. Now, it is no longer a secret, but has been revealed to us by God through his word. And the time that God has chosen to reveal his truth, the gospel has passed. That was 2,000 years ago. Paul reminds us in the second part of the verse that not only is this God's wisdom, but as such, God has total control over it. Before it was revealed and before the events contained within that wisdom, the gospel actually took place in the life and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God had predestined this wisdom, not just for our salvation, but for the entirety of salvation which culminates with our glorification. The wisdom of God is the gospel, but the full scope of the eternal results of those believing in the gospel was what God has in mind. And note, although the truths have been revealed, 
they are still impenetrable to the human intellect. In other words, though you can read it in the Bible, you can read it in gospel tracts, you still can't come to a realization of the gospel through human intellect. You can't find a way to God through human wisdom. It is still a work of the Holy Spirit for any man to comprehend, let alone accept, the gospel message. And so, the communication day by day today in the hearts of men is not just because God has revealed it in his word, but also their comprehension of it, their accepting of the gospel, can only be done through the revelation of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. So those who do not know him are still in the dark, though it has been opened and made accessible through the word to the entirety of mankind, it is still a work of the Holy Spirit. And with this, we are reminded. We are reminded of grace. We are reminded that we did not earn our salvation. We are reminded that anything good in our lives, because anything good in our lives is related to the gospel, is of the Lord. The Holy Spirit did it. He chose to reveal it to us at the perfect time, after he revealed it to mankind. And then, at the moment of your salvation, he opened up your heart, your mind, your ears, your eyes, so that you would accept the truth, that you would embrace him as Lord and Savior and repent of your sins. And this is a good reminder that we are no better, per se, than unbelievers because it was God who revealed these truths to us. And what's more, that truth promises unfathomable joy in the future. We didn't play the game and were successful beyond others in our neighborhood, and that's why we won the prize through our efforts and intellect. And so we opened up this golden chest and in it was the secret truth of God now revealed to us. That's not how it works. You and I did nothing. And as we've said over and over again in this series, this should push you to humility in understanding God's grace and God's work and none of yours. And it should push you to greater compassion for those that don't know Him. Well, There's a third reason the wisdom of God is a mystery, and that is the confusion of God's wisdom. There is perhaps no greater concept or word related to a mystery than the word confusion. Look at verse 8. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Again, Paul brings up the rulers of this age and uses them as an example of the inability to understand the wisdom of God through one's own effort and intellect. Now remember, for the most part, rulers of this age, they're not dumb. There's a reason they're rulers. They're smart. They were important. They had power. They were influential. The kind of unbeliever that you may, in this day and age, look up to and follow. Yet in all their worldly wisdom that helped them get to where they were in life, they didn't understand Jesus Christ. In fact, 
It was in using their authority and ex- exceptional abilities and high IQs, and I'm not being sarcastic there, that led them to crucify Christ. To the best of their understanding, the height of their authority and human wisdom that was far beyond the people they led, their logical and best conclusion was we need to kill this guy. And the best they could come up with, the best that the best could come up with was a complete ignorance of God's chosen one. We need to understand that in all the many references to man's worldly wisdom in 1 Corinthians, Paul is not merely talking about the ability to persuade others with skillful arguments. Man's wisdom opposes God. Man's wisdom is anti-God. Man's wisdom leads man down the path of the belief of self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, and hates God. Man's wisdom crucified Christ. On the cross, Jesus said these incredible exemplary words. You know them. Father, not smite them, not punish them, not send them to hell right now. Father, forgive them. This is a man who at that moment could feel the flecks of rust starting to make their way into his flesh and course through his blood. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Think about this and what I just said. Why did they do what they did? It was based on the height of their own wisdom. Human wisdom is so far gone from divine understanding that on the cross, Jesus asked the Father to forgive man For his wisdom. Father forgive them. For their wisdom. Think about that even further. It is not. Is it it not. When we use our human. Worldly wisdom. To pursue selfish gain. To use our intellect. To justify sin. That we need forgiveness. Do we not use human intellect to question and twist the scriptures? Though not as serious as the crucifixion, it is the misuse of our wisdom that needs the forgiveness of God. You want to know how godless human wisdom is? Mankind needs forgiveness for it. On the other hand, when we use our minds, when we use our intellect, when we use our human wisdom, our understanding of the world as a servant to God's wisdom, we truly honor 
and worship the Lord of glory. God never calls us to turn off our brains and just become dummies. He says, change that. He says, I have sanctified your intellect. So now use your smarts, use your wisdom to glorify me. Worship the Lord of glory. Speaking of that phrase, the Lord of glory, this is one of the grandest and loftiest titles ever given to Jesus. And here in this sentence, it's used in stark contrast to the word crucifixion or crucified. Perhaps this is fitting in contrasting the ignorance of the rulers of this age or of that age and the wisdom of God. And it is that contrast that resulted and continues to result in confusion. Nevertheless, man's misdirected wisdom was within the sovereign plan of God. You have to understand that the cross was not an unfortunate historical accident where God scrambled to turn something bad into something good. It was God's plan. Yet at the same time, God didn't manipulate. He didn't have to manipulate these people to crucify Christ. They knew what they were doing in seeking his death. This was no brash, knee-jerk reaction among the people to Christ's offensive and accusatory statements. This was planned out, purposeful wisdom of man. And as far as they were concerned, this was a murder that resulted for them in good riddance. Little did they know that the result was their doom and man's salvation. Know that though the events of human history show the confusion of man in relation to God's wisdom and plan, that confusion remains on the earthly plane while God is fully aware, infinitely wise, and never surprised or mistaken. Man is confused, not God. And any individual human being, that cloud of confusion, can only be removed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, even in the terminology of Paul, and clearly in the commands of Scripture, even from Jesus Christ himself before his ascension, we understand that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. But in that authority, he has given us the responsibility. And so, though people may not People may choose not to clear up the confusion in their own minds. You must give them the tools to clear it up. And that is the gospel. Well, let me give you our fourth and final reason the wisdom of God is a mystery. We've seen the comprehension of God's wisdom, the communication, the confusion. And fourthly, let's look at the contrast. The contrast of God's wisdom In verse 9, he quotes the Old Testament. He says, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. The fact that the authorities of the day misunderstood and crucified Jesus is no surprise to Paul, because the wisdom of God 
cannot be discovered through human faculties. And this quote from Isaiah 64, and perhaps also a few words from Isaiah 65, explains two specific realities. The first is that God's ways or God's wisdom are inconceivable to the human mind. Secondly, what they are not perceiving is the salvation that God has prepared for those who love him. In Semitic imagery, as we read here from this quote from Isaiah, the eyes and the ears and the heart are the organs of comprehension. He mentions the senses of the eyes and the ears, but also the heart which represented for them the will, the emotions, the thoughts and affections. It was considered the organ of thought, the mind, if you will. And what this is saying is that the two greatest resources of man, observation and reason, or empiricism and rationalism, are incredibly powerful. They are helpful for all things in this life. They keep you alive. But they are utterly useless in discovering God and his truth. And beyond this life, they are just worthless. So, of course, when man uses tools that can never attain to the knowledge of God, they end up at war with him. And notice the flip side is not neutrality with God. For those that love him, there are wonderful things that God has prepared beforehand. Elsewhere, God gives us insight into these truths. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8. Just turn a few pages towards the front of your Bibles if you're in 1 Corinthians 2. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 through 30. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. You're familiar with this passage, but the point I want to bring out is the predestined. Again, here, Paul shares with us that God planned all of this before the beginning of time. Turn ahead a few chapters to Romans chapter 1. Verses 20 through 22, and here we give insight into what man's wisdom accomplishes in regards to salvation. Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So they used their minds, and they used their senses, and they perceived the wonders of nature. I'm using the past tense, but people do this today. The intellectual recognition of morality they have through their consciences, if they took a moment to think, the things they get passionate about is because of their morality. 
the things that they are disgusted by in the world. It is because of their consciences, their morality that God has given them. This, the recognition of these things, is possible by all men. It is universal because God in his grace has given every human being a mind and an intellect and a conscience. But the ultimate wisdom of God and salvation, completely unattainable through the senses, through the mind, through the heart. And what we see is through these human faculties, the natural and logical response is to dishonor and turn away from God rather than to seek Him. And that's what Romans 1 is saying. That through our intellect, through our five senses, we can understand that there is a creator in the universe. That there is a creator who made things. That there is a higher power. There are some, Romans 1 says, who are even religious. Who even had the Old Testament scriptures. And even then, in their pursuit of knowledge and human wisdom and human happiness and comfort, they turned away from God. This is what we do when left to our own devices even though those devices, those abilities, are wonderful gifts from God. I mean, don't discount those things. Even the the wickedest of criminals and rejectors of God, if they took a minute to think about it, are pretty glad that they have the ability to see, or hear, or touch, or taste. And oftentimes, whether temporarily or Permanently, they lose one or some of those abilities, those senses, and they are all the more thankful for those things. These are wonderful gifts that God has graciously given even the most wicked of men. But even at the height of the utilization of those senses and the conscience and the heart, the mind, all they can do, Romans 1 says, is end up in damnation, in condemnation. You have to understand, Romans 1 is not saying because they recognize they have a conscience, because they can see the beauty and reality of a creator through nature, that they are saved. Oh no. It is saying despite all that, they are condemned. So again, the best that we can do on our own The best the non-Christian can do, no matter how rich, how smart, how successful, how able they are, on an eternal level, all they can achieve is hell. So how do we know him? Because most of us are not as successful and as smart as many of those living in this very area. You know the answer to this. It is grace. It is grace. God's wisdom is grace. Even the faculties, the ability to reject God's wisdom is grace. Humanity is grace.
But what we're talking about here is the revelation of something that for thousands of years people wanted to know. Even now, the angels in heaven lean forward trying to understand this. They want to know. It is grace specifically in salvation. So though it is true that God's wisdom is a mystery in terms of a historical timeline, it was not revealed until later in the history of mankind, though it was prophesied and anticipated, and also a mystery uh, on the current level in terms of every individual. It is a mystery and unfathomable. It is a secret hidden until God reveals it, if God reveals it to them. For you and I, the believers, it is no longer a mystery. It is not hidden because God gave it to us. And that is the very essence of who you are as a Christian. And since it is the very essence of who you are as a Christian, it is the very essence of who you are, period. It is all grace. So take that and meditate on that and understand all these challenges, all the complications. As easy it is as it is to scoff and say, yeah, those 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 Romans, those Jews, they're just proud. They were ignorant. They didn't know. That was you. That was you. And even now, there are glimpses of hope in your life. Misplaced hope in the things that could never achieve the most important thing in your life. You place your hope so often in your riches. Maybe you place your hope in the riches that will come when someone passes away and gives you that inheritance. Maybe you uh, put your confidence and and self-respect in your ability to crack jokes and to diffuse situations or take the spotlight off of yourself. Your own pride, your own sense of self-worth. Maybe you put your hope not in your own intellect, but in the intellect of others, that other people will praise you, other people will give you what you want. And in so many ways, we have, we have been given the biggest and most important secret ever. At, at the moment of the fall, this secret was put in place and made secret to humankind. For thousands of years, People wanted to know this secret. Even today, people who seek God but seek other ways, it's because it's hidden to them and they want to know it. And yet here we are with the biggest treasure known to man. And we still default to using these proven failures of man's wisdom to achieve what we want. Now, of course, I'm talking about when what we want and what God wants are two different things. But when you can use these things together so that what God wants is what you want, and then on the basis and by the power of that revealed secret, 
use your intellect, use your money, use all that you have to promote God's glory, then everything else that you're confused about in Scripture, you've got it. You've got it. Yes, study the Scriptures. Yes, know how to defend the faith. Yes, know God more. Yes, strive to comprehend the incomprehensible. But when your will matches up with God's will, and everything in your life pursues your will, because it is God's will, you've got it. That is holiness. That is sanctification. And the wonder and beauty of this is that you are not perfect. Why is that wonderful? Why is that beautiful? Because every single moment of your life, you get to excel still more. The problem comes when you don't want to. Or or maybe you want to, but there's that little hidden aspect of your life that you just refuse to give up. You, You just, no matter what, you just have to keep your money for yourself. No matter what, you just have to keep your reputation or what you think will be your reputation and not share the gospel. No matter what, you want to do marriage your way and just keep things happy and avoid arguments or or unhappiness, which you know will happen if you biblically, God-honoringly confront sin in your husband or wife or children or even to pursue biblical roles to want to hold on to that aspect of this fleeting culture even men's and women's roles those are fleeting there are people in our church who I wouldn't even consider elderly and in their lifetimes they have seen the culture shift in that But we want to hold on to that, even though we know it will shift again for our children. What are you holding on to? What are these, what are your own secrets that you're hiding from the church because you want to hold on to those things? What do you have to give up to God? It may be that baby that you're trying to keep quiet right now. It may be that child that you're idolizing above God. It, it may be maybe not something conventional like, like money or fame. It may be something that people say is good to idolize. A happy marriage. Family. A mortgage. A home. Give it up to the Lord. Well, we've seen four reasons the wisdom of God is a mystery the comprehension, the communication, the confusion, and the contrast. Paul writes, Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, 
things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we live in a time where we have had this mystery revealed to mankind for over 2,000 years. Help us to be a people who don't take that lightly and don't take that for granted. Father, be with us and remove from us the idols in our hearts. The idols in our hearts that devalue the wonders of grace and the wonders of this mystery. Father, I know, though they don't recognize it themselves or they wouldn't say it this way, I know that there are people listening right now, people who didn't just find us, but people who are members of Grace Church of the Bay Area who idolize money and material possessions, who idolize their jobs, who idolize their children or the thought the potential of having children, who idolize their, ch- their children, their grandchildren, their parents, who idolize their own view, an unbiblical view of marriage, of parenting, idolizing happiness instead of seeking joy. Father, help them to repent. Help them to understand that they have ultimately everything that they need and they need to put those other things on the altar that has become become so clear to us in our own hearts because the secret has been revealed not only in history to mankind but to us as individuals we pray these things in jesus name amen